for our visitors, for the sake of our visitors here. And um, we've been going through a series on what we believe as a church. We've come through the book of Revelation, which is a fantastic study. But now we're going through our statement of faith. And it's really, really important. And I've had quite a bit of feedback on that already from people saying it's good just to stand still and to see what we believe in because in our changing world, people don't know what they believe in anymore. And it's been important to us too because as our church has been um, going, we've had people come from various churches and various backgrounds and joined us and they don't necessarily know what we believe and so it's good to be reminded of these things. And so we come to the statement on what we believe about the Holy Spirit and His working in us. I've also sadly heard it say by some that this church doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here. But maybe the understanding of the Holy Spirit we need to be looking at and who He is and how He works. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. So we believe in the Spirit-filled life. We're going to do this in two sessions. Um, We're going to be looking specifically this morning at what does the Holy Spirit do and then next week, Lord willing, if He hasn't come yet, we're going to be looking at how do we respond to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to try and make these things as practical as I can. So let's turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 32 and verses 14 to 18. Isaiah 32 verses 14 to 18. What does God say about His Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Isaiah chapter 32, verse 14 to 18. The context here, in the book of Isaiah, God is telling His people who are about to go into exile that there is going to be one who will come, who will be the Redeemer. But that's not all. God speaks about how His Spirit will be active. So there we have The Trinity involved in the Old Testament. Isn't that fantastic? Look where we are in Scripture. The Trinity involved. Fantastic. So let's read this. Verse 14 to 18. I just need to give you a little bit of more background here because if we just plunge into verse 14. He's speaking about the people's complacency. And how he will overcome that complacency. And if they don't overcome that complacency, what will happen? Alright. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. And it doesn't stay there. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. So that is when the Spirit becomes active in the lives of God's people there. And then turn with me, if you would, to the New Testament, 
Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, where a lot of this comes true. Where the, not just the Redeemer had come, but the Helper that was also prophesied about is also made visible to God's people. And he descends in a very special way on the people of God. And from this time, the Spirit is in them. And he doesn't go away from them um, as we're going to be looking a little later. Let's look at this. Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing of wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the original language says other languages. Now they were dwelling in, Jeru- now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout Jews, men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, said, They are filling, they are filled with new wine. Interesting times. Well, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And I have to refer you back to our previous um, sermons on the Trinity The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is the Trinity. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is a person of the Godhead. And so we shouldn't be speaking or referring to the Holy Spirit as it. And sometimes we might mistakenly do so, but He's not just a force. He is a person of the Godhead. He is God living inside of us. And so we speak about the, the Spirit of God as He. He is God. What is the Spirit's role? How does He affect our lives? Can I be a Christian and not have the full measure of the Holy Spirit in me? Does He make a difference in my life? Is it like sometimes living on normal, regular fuel and sometimes living on high-octane fuel? How does He work in my life? Well, let's look at our statement of faith and then we'll go from there. Our statement of faith says this. We believe in the Spirit-filled life as the supernatural and sovereign agent in regeneration. The Holy Spirit baptizes all believers into the body of Christ at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit also indwells sanctifies, instructs, empowers them for service, and seals them unto or for, there's direction there, the day of redemption. So that's our statement of faith. Now, 
if you don't regularly come to church, there's a little bit of Christianese chucked in there. Um, those are terms that I'll refer to this morning, so just have a listen. So let's look at what the Holy Spirit does. Firstly, the Holy Spirit purifies us. He gives us life. He gives all life. He gives all physical life. And that's the verse we referred to right at the beginning of the service, Job chapter 34. If God were to withdraw His Spirit, all life would cease. But He doesn't. Life exists from God, the Holy Spirit. We see this later when Jesus was conceived in that Virgin Mary. That was a miracle at work. Why? Because the Holy Spirit descended on that virgin who was a Jewish girl. She had had no sexual relations with Joseph. But she became pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit in her. It was supernatural. Let's go and look at that. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 to 20. You probably say, I know this stuff. What does Scripture say? Let's be reminded again. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 to 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so in a very special, supernatural way, God came to human beings. The Holy Spirit came down on Mary and she conceived Jesus Christ. That wasn't a new creation of God the Son, please. He was already existed as, a second, as the second person of the Trinity. But now he became the God-man, the one who would become, as we saw with our youth this last Friday, he had to become a fish to speak to fish. God had to become a man so that he would communicate with us and we would understand. So, he gives all physical life. Secondly, he gives all spiritual life. That's the word regeneration. To regenerate, to make new. How does that work? Well, I'm just summarizing in a few words here, which is a mammoth thing. It starts before you and I ever come to God. Because it starts with God. None of us would ever come to God on our own. None of us ever thinks on a day, you know, I should really find out who God is. Because there's this desire in my heart to know who God is. None of us ever thinks like it. How do I know that? Scripture says so. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You are not the exception to the rule. No one 
seeks for God. It comes from God first. John chapter 6 verse 44 says, and this is God speaking, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's again that phrase, no one can come to me unless the Father draws. How does the Father draw? He uses the Holy Spirit in our lives. And stuff happens in your life. And people say things in your lives. And you might read things, see things on TV. And the Holy Spirit starts switching something on you, which starts searching for Almighty God. It's Him working in you. The Holy Spirit is drawing you to God. And then more people will come into your life. And you might read more truth. And it starts sitting in your mind. The Holy Spirit is keeping it there. He is drawing you to God. He is opening your blind eyes to truth. And then there comes that moment where He convicts you, the unbeliever, of the sin that is in your life. And who you are as a sinful creature before a holy God. And that is the moment you fall on your knees. And you bow to an almighty God. And not all of us happen all dramatically. We don't all come from a, a life which has been all damaged and destroyed and full of all kinds of things and then we come to conversion. No, sometimes it's a quiet process. But there comes a time when the Holy Spirit shows you God is holy. You are not holy. You are a sinner before Him. You need Almighty God to change you. And then He brings that conviction of that sin in your life. You see, that's His job. The Holy Spirit's task, according to John 16, 8, says this, And when He, that is the Helper, comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Those are the specific things that the Holy Spirit has to do. He has to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, God's righteousness, our unrighteousness, and how we can become righteous or right before God. And then He has to convict the world of judgment to come. Those things always go together. God's mercy, His judgment. We've seen that in Revelation, didn't we? And here the Holy Spirit has to convict. And so there comes that time in your life where He convicts you of sin. And then, that momentous occasion, when that supernatural thing happens, when the man or the woman who was dead in Christ becomes alive. Where there was only sin and darkness, there is now light and life. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. He creates that miracle in you. And you become alive in Christ forevermore. Where you would have been dead before God, and facing His judgment, you are now alive to Christ and will be living with Him in hope forever. Miraculous work that the Holy Spirit does. So He brings spiritual life. There is no other way to get spiritual life. You can follow whatever route you want to in life. You can follow whatever religion you want to in life. There is no other way to know real spiritual life as God describes it. The One who is our Creator then through the work of the Holy Spirit, He is the only one who can do it. And that's not all. There's more, you see, because the story doesn't end there, does it? Because one day Jesus is going to return. And yes, 
Some of us might have died before that. But don't live in fear. Because when Jesus reappears, God will make your eyes open. He will reconstruct your body and give you a whole brand new body. And you will rise to meet your Savior in the air. And then you will have resurrection life. And that's also work of the Holy Spirit. He will bring you to life. Like Jesus called Lazarus from that tomb. Lazarus, come out. You will hear the words of God. His Spirit will, will awaken you and you will rise and you will have new life. Resurrection life forever. Where do I get all this stuff from? Romans. Good old Romans. And if you uh, stick with Romans and read through it so that you can understand Paul's argument, it's such a book of richness to us. Romans chapter 8. Verse 11, this is what it says. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who, pra- who rise, raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so who, who rose Jesus from the dead? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. If He lives in you too, then says Scripture, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There's kind of a double thing there. You get it? There's hope because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He will do it in us. And so he gives life, but he gives us not just spiritual life, he gives us resurrection life too and a hope for the future. That's not all the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't just give life. He also cleanses the believer from sin and thank the Lord for this truth. He cleanses us from sin. His very name, the Holy Spirit, implies that he's without sin. Actually, it doesn't imply it. It states it. He is without sin. And the Holy Spirit comes and he helps us to also be without sin. He cleanses us from sin. And so at that moment of rebirth, he cleanses us from that sin imprint which held our souls. We had the imprint of death all over us. And he takes that imprint away. And He puts the mark of God on us. The one with the mark of the Lamb on our souls. He changes our passports. We've got a brand new passport now with the Lamb on it. And the names of God on it. He writes it all over our lives. And He gives us new life because He takes our sins away. You see, Christ justifies. Now, it's a, legal, it's a Christianese thing. Christ justifies. He makes us, He proclaims a statement over our lives which says you are right with God. You are just before God. The payment has been made for your life. And now the Holy Spirit, the the third person the Trinity comes along and He takes that work of Christ and He puts it into everyday effect in our lives. He helps us To be sanctified. There's another word. I'm sorry, we're full of them today. He makes us to be more like Jesus Christ. He sets us apart for what Jesus Christ has for us in our lives. He is the everyday agent in our lives. And yes, it doesn't mean it's only Him in our lives. Jesus Christ is also with us and God the Father is also with us. But it's the Holy Spirit doing the work in our lives. And He changes us to be more like Christ in everyday practice. That's the hardest thing. 
It's moving from the truth and what we know and what we know God has done in our souls to how do I walk my life before God every day? How does the world see me? Do they see someone who is sanctified, being made to be more like Jesus Christ? So that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He cleanses the believer from sin. There's much more to be said here. I've got to carry on. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit helps us to put sin to death. Do you get the difference? He works in our lives, but He helps us to put sin to death too. That's where the rubber meets the road. Romans chapter 8 verse 13 says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Who's this speaking to? Speaking to believers. Take note of this verse this morning, please. This is an, a verse which all believers need to hear today because one by one we're being picked off by Satan and he's pulling us into the world and we're losing people to the church. Not forever because God, if there's a work in their lives, He will bring them back to Himself and it might be a hard walk. But He will because He loves you too much. But one by one we're seeing Christians disappearing from our churches. And when we see them again, they're out in society and they've got a thing on with society. And it might be some form of sin which has got them in its grasp. But it's caused them to walk another road and they are not following Christ in practice. Listen to this verse this morning. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live. Now I'm quoting from John Piper. But the worldly person says to himself, when he hears Romans 8.13, I don't need that kind of warning. I'm a Christian. I'm secure. I'm saved by grace, for goodness sake. I don't need threatening words like, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's for somebody else. Not me. Of course, fighting temptation is good, but don't make it sound like such a big deal. I don't think my eternal life hangs on killing sin. I have eternal life. That's true and untrue. You see, that's the way a worldly Christian thinks. And his or her quiet rebellion against God's word are revealed in in that thinking. Their true colors are revealed. And the hold of sin, that sin has on them is revealed in those words. Tell me, do you, are you tempted to think in that way? I don't have to fight against temptation. I don't have to get rid of that pet sin in my life. That's for other people. I plead with you, as I plead the Lord to help me in my own life, allow the Holy Spirit to help us to put sin to death in our lives. Don't make peace with it. Don't sign a peace treaty with sin. It will kill you in the end. You see, how does the Spirit help us to put sin to death? I'm going to expand on this again next week, so just take note of it this week. Firstly, He helps us to capture our thought life. Isn't that where it starts? 
2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You can't get more practical than that. As you're going through life and the thought that comes across your way is impure, grab it right there. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you and to take it captive for Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, it's going to carry on doing its work. I'm going to spell it out. Men and women, because it's not just men. You see a beautiful woman walking around and your thoughts go the wrong way. Take it captive for Jesus Christ right there. Put it under His control. Say, Lord, forgive me for this. You created beauty, but Lord, in its place. Lord, help me in my weakness. And there are many other instances. You see the ad on TV, another gadget. And immediately think, I haven't got that tool in my... Bye. Take captive that thought for Jesus Christ. Put it under His control. Allow Him to take hold of your desires and to put your desires under Christ's control too. The Holy Spirit helps us in capturing that thought life. We'll come back to that next week. Secondly, He helps us to make war on sin. Romans chapter... Oopsie. Man. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. Look at what it says here. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. I don't know about you. I know there's, one of, there's more than one sin that keeps pestering me. Look at what this says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Here it is. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Allow the Holy Spirit to allow you to make war on that sin. Especially those pet sins that you, you just don't want to let go of it. And it keeps coming back to you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in us. And praise the Lord, thirdly, that the Holy Spirit helps us to put sin by giving us that grace which has been promised to us. What does grace mean in Christianese? Grace is that undeserved love that God pours out on us when we don't deserve it. He gives us His grace, which is a promise to us. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, it's at that moment of weakness, when you are at your weakest, when you feel you're being overcome by that sin, that is the moment when God works with great strength in your life. And the Holy Spirit is there. And He will help you to overcome. He helps you to overcome. We are in this process too. So He helps us to overcome sin and to put sin to death. That's not all. The Holy Spirit gives us, next point, He gives us the fruit of the Spirit within us. 
This is an amazing thing. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit in us. The fruit which belongs to the Spirit, which He gifts to us. Why? To make us more like Jesus Christ. Now, don't get confused between this and spiritual gifts. The fruits of the Spirit and spiritual gifts are different things. I'll come back to that. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit within us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 25. This is what it says. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. These are the spiritual gifts that belong to God, the Spirit, which He gifts to us. To make us more mature. To make us like Jesus Christ. And those are the ones we battle with in our lives. Because our natures tend to be the opposite. We'll come back to that as well. And then lastly, under He helps us to battle with sin. He continually leads and instructs us day by day. That's also the role of the Holy Spirit. It's that day by day prompting. Have you ever had that prompting, I need to phone and when you do, you find out they really needed that phone call. Or they were going through a bit of a patch, or they really needed help in something. We need to learn as believers to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, so that we can hear that prompting and know when the Spirit is speaking to us. That convicting still small voice when you do something you, don't, you shouldn't do, and you know it's wrong. It nags in you here. It's a good nag. That leading from God's Word, when you're reading God's Word and that page, that verse leaps up at you and somehow it's all alive and you've read it many times, but this time it's different. The Holy Spirit's leading you. What is it saying? What must you do? How must you obey? That encouragement during hard times, when that person comes along and gives you that word of encouragement because God has sent them and they've been listening to Him and they come and bring you that word which just helps you that day. What is the Lord saying to you? How can you encourage someone else? Are you listening to His Spirit? When you're going through those hard times and a specific scripture jumps to mind. It doesn't just jump there automatically. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. What is He saying to you? Through the Word. Now please note, please note, the Holy Spirit will never prompt or lead you to do anything which is contrary to God's Word and what is taught in God's Word. Never. That's a different voice. It's not the Holy Spirit. So if you find yourself being prompted to do something which is not according to the principles of God's Word, don't believe it's the Holy Spirit. Don't go and do it. It is not the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to help you against Satan who wants to tempt you to do wrong. We'll come back to that again next week. So you'll definitely have to come next week if you want the other half of the sermon.
Well, let's look at the second half of this. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't just purify, but He also empowers us for service. How does that work? Well, if we look in the Old Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit was at work to help people in very specific tasks. It's very different to the way the Holy Spirit works now. In In the Old Testament, He would come upon people for very specific tasks, and then He would leave again. And then He would come upon other people and leave again. And that's how the Holy Spirit operated then. There was a very specific way He was doing that. In Joshua, we find that when Joshua was to take over from Moses, this is what the Spirit said. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. The Holy Spirit was already working in Joshua's life, and so now he's specifically dedicated for a task. The Lord helped many of the judges through his Spirit. Othniel, Judges chapter 3, The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. Do you see God at work already there? Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and amazing things happened because God was working there. King David. 1 Samuel 16. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. I love that. He rushed upon David. He really needed to in David's case as well, like in mine. But he came upon him powerfully. And David was a changed man. And then we see at the beginning of Jesus' messianic ministry. He comes at that time when Jesus is baptized. We see that he comes and he's present there. As Jesus starts his ministry. And then in the New Testament the Holy Spirit would come and stay inside of believers. And we're going to read about this in the Old Testament, by the way. Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 to 29. This is what it says about this phenomenon, where the Holy Spirit would come and stay inside of us when He came on those New Testament believers. Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now some people have interpreted that to say that's just talking about the end times. It's not, you know. How do we know that? Because the Apostle Peter quotes this passage when the spirit descends on those believers in Acts and he puts it in its place. He gives it the perspective that we are to understand it with. And so we need to look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17 to 18. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 to 18. This is what the Apostle Peter says. And Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now he gives interpretation to what has just happened. And he quotes that passage we've just read. So this is where the Holy Spirit came upon the New Testament church. And from that time, he would stay inside every single believer at the moment of conversion. And therefore, for us today, Christians today... He is with us. 
He's with us and He gives us spiritual gifts too. What are those things? Spiritual gifts, according to 1 Corinthians 12, are the following. These are gifts that He gives to you and I as individual believers, not for our sakes, but for the sake of the church, to build up the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, capital S, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So how does the Spirit come upon us? He gives us these gifts for the good of the church. And you know, as the modern day church today, we need to really look into these things. We need to see how has God gifted me for the sake of these fellow believers of mine. I think it's an area that is completely unused. There are some among us who have the spirit of discernment. They know when something is not quite right. And so they go to God's Word and say, I think this situation calls for wisdom because God says. That's the spirit of discernment. Or maybe someone is not well. Or they're going through a battle and God prompts someone to go and speak to that person and say, are you okay? And so there are various gifts there. We can't go into that now. But they all come from the Holy Spirit. And they've been given as gifts to the church. Now what do we do with this this morning? I want to ask two questions. You'll note they're nearly the same question. Do I need any more of the Holy Spirit? The phrase sometimes is used, you need a baptism in the Spirit. Or you need a second blessing. Is this scriptural? Do I need any more of the Holy Spirit? The definitive answer, and please hear the second question as well before you make up your whole mind. The definitive answer to this is no. I'll explain myself now. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 25 to 27 says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What is that speaking of? What's the theological term? Regeneration. When God comes upon us and turns us from death to life, He gives us His full spirit. 
This is how it works. And I found the best Baptist jug I could find. Do you see it? It's a beautiful Baptist jug. This one. Beautiful. At the moment of conversion, can you see? At the moment of conversion, God puts His Spirit within us. He puts His Spirit within us. I've got the full person of the Holy Spirit in me. God doesn't do a half job. I don't have to come back for a top up. He gives me the full person of the Holy Spirit. God lives with man. Do I need a second baptism? No. Now please hear my second question. Do I need any more of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Calvin, that's a contradiction. You've just said no. I know. I can say what I like here. <laughs> but do I, seriously, do I need any more of the Spirit? Yes, I do. I need to be empowered by the Spirit day by day. How does that work? I need to ask that Holy Spirit, the one who is God inside me, the full person of the Godhead inside of me, I need to ask Him to make me more aware of Him day by day. Why does it seem like some people live on regular fuel and others on high octane? Why? Because there's indwelling sin in most of us that we haven't dealt with. And the Holy Spirit is being stymied in His work in us because of that sin. We need to ask the Lord to deal to that sin so that the Holy Spirit can deal fully into our lives and make us fully alive in Christ so that we will burst out with the life that God gives us. I love it. You walk, you walk around you see some people, people, they just bubble out Jesus Christ. Have they got any more of the Holy Spirit in them? No, they've got exactly the same Holy Spirit in them but they've allowed the Holy Spirit to, to go to all those dark little recesses in their lives and deal with that sin. Are they now sinless and pure and perfect before God? No, they've also got sin. But a lot of that sin has been dealt with because they've been coming to God day by day. Illustrations aren't perfect, but I'll try and explain it like this. Balloon. Is this balloon full of air? Yeah, it is. It's got air in it. But as we allow God, the Holy Spirit, He is here in this picture. As we allow Him to work in our lives and to go into those dark recesses and to take those pet sins of ours and to wrench them away from us and to make us holy in those places, we get more of a God awareness. And more of a God awareness. And more of a God awareness. And as we get more of a God awareness, that is translated into the spiritual what? What? That spiritual work of patience, peace, kindness, goodness. Those gifts that God gives to us. And we can live them out to people around us. And so they see us and they say, but that person's different. Why? It's because they're allowing the Holy Spirit to work fully in their lives. Sorry, Claire, I won't let it burst. 
But you see, there's not more of the Spirit, and this is where the illustration falls down. But you're allowing Him to expand further and further and further into your life until He takes over completely in your life. And that is the moment when you become like Jesus Christ. You get the difference? You see, nowhere in Scripture do we hear about a two-class Christianity. Those with and those who ain't got it. We all have God's Holy Spirit in full. We are the problem. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to dig into our lives and to take that thing which you can't let go of away. And then your, your life will shine out, Jesus Christ. And others will see and they will be drawn to the light as the Holy Spirit uses that testimony to draw them in their turn to Jesus Christ. That's how Christianity works. That's how evangelism works. That's why Jesus said, by your love will you know they are my disciples. Others will see the Holy Spirit at work. And if that happens, you too will live a high octane life before the world. Let's pray. Lord our God, we come before you, Lord, because we have to confess this morning that we do not allow your Spirit to work as he should in our lives because there's sin that we hold on to for dear life and we don't want to let it go. Lord, help us through your Spirit to have such a high view of God and who you are that we will make war on that sin with the ability that you give, Lord, because only you, Spirit, can take away that sin from us. The work has all been done for us. Jesus Christ has died on that cross, but you, Lord, you take that sin from our lives in everyday prayer. Help us in our thought lives. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to live lives which reflect Jesus Christ and the marvelous work of supernatural grace He does in our lives. May we allow Your Spirit to do Your work as You want to, Lord. May we put ourselves under You and allow You to expand into all our lives, we pray. Amen.